You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Hello and welcome back to the Elevator's Cut. I'm Roger Gaddis. And I'm Jason Wheeler. And we're joining you today from sunny Girard, Kansas, which, little known fact, Girard is a French word that means within driving distance of an Indian casino. <laughs> That's right, and we have a special guest today, don't we, Roger? We do. He's sitting on the other side of the table. He is a gentleman of distinction that we've known for many years. Uh, who is he, Jason? Well, we have Bryce L. Nicky here. Bryce, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And you, you may hear a little choo-choo train going. You know, maybe your kids are listening. They enjoy trains, and they'll get a kick out of that, and that's great. We're at a grain elevator. This is our first time recording at a venue other than our tech studios our tech studios in kansas city we're uh as roger said down here so this is our first time away we're at a grain elevator office people so you're gonna hear some trucks going you're gonna hear just give us a little grace they there. hear cursing farmers when they bring in grain to be graded it's all normal you may hear a truck driver or two i'm confused about your if like what what kind of audience uh information you have do you really think people have kids listening to this podcast i do my kid listens because no, i force her to i'm taking her to daycare mm, that's interesting so we're here like i said we've known bryce for a while and he's he comes from the uh, a long line of uh, uh of positions within the grain business uh, we all are arkansas grads we all went through the grain merchandising program down there we all have connections with the white commercial and uh, so so we've we've been friends for a long time and we thought who better to boost our ratings than bryce l nicky that's right. So we have a lot of questions to ask Bryce, get his perspective on it. He's He's got a, a unique perspective being still a young man in the grain business like like me, not so much Roger. But anyways, <clears throat> you started at a family-owned grain elevator, country grain elevator, ran that place, worked for also a large uh, grain company, and now is the GM of a substantial uh, co-op here in southeast Kansas. So even though you you haven't geographically had to move a lot, you've worked for, you know, pretty much the the whole range of of grain elevator companies and of, of sorts. So, we wanted to get your perspective with with that sort of background. So, I, I think your perspective will be good with the questions we have for you. We're gonna take, and hopefully, we just draw out some uh, some good stories. Bryce, a, a big reason we have Bryce is he's a pretty good storyteller so hopefully we can get a story or two out of him he's usually good for those so yeah so yeah so give us a little uh, take on the differences uh similarities anything you've seen as far as all the different positions you've had in the grain business sure so i started um my dad built a grain elevator he was a large farmer in the area and um it's it's, it's a funny story and we won't have to get into that how he got started in the elevator business um but I started, and I often tell people that when I was six years old, he built a, a Camo Grain, our family-owned elevator grain business, and I fell off an overhead bin. And I tell people that, and they're like, oh, my God, you fell off the bin? Well, it was getting built on the ground, and I, I fell off, and I broke my arm. Um, and I remember every summer when I was a kid growing up, um, 
being there at the elevator, we'd have wheat harvest. It seemed like it was always later in June. It was hard to get away for 4th of July, and I'd always end up having my fingertips burnt <laughs> at the 4th of July because with fireworks and whatnot, and I was kind of a little wild. Um, but I remember uh, lots and lots of stories. All my summers were spent at the elevator, uh, you know, playing baseball or at the elevator. That was about it. Um, and so um, went like Jason or Roger said, um, I went off to college, went to the University of Arkansas, um, got involved in a program there that, that White Commercial helped uh, Dr. McKenzie develop um, through their Art of Grain merchandising book. Uh, loved it. That's kind of where I excelled. I'd say prior to that, I really didn't apply myself as far as academics goes at all. Um, but down there, I excelled, kind of found what I was good at, or at least what I liked. And um, came home to help out with the elevator. Uh, over time, I ended up managing that facility um, and then after, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 years, we decided to, that, that, you know, the elevator business was extremely sexy. Everybody was making tons of money. And I kind of thought that this isn't probably going to last forever. And when we had grown that business to a point where we had to grow and substantial growth, I'm not talking build a grain bin or two, but we need another facility or we needed something else to kind of diversify ourselves. Um, you know, we were stuck in that Southeast Kansas niche kind of market. And we did some things to diversify ourselves through some pet food transloading, um, developed a lot of stuff through importing uh, goods out of Canada. Um, this area is, has a significant amount of pet food companies within like 150 miles. And so we did that for, we were forced to do that because of a drought year. I had to figure out how we we're going to make any money. Um, but we did some of those things and, and those made us attractive to other companies and through that, we decided to um, to divest. My dad wanted to kind of retire and get back, um, basically get away from it. He'd kind of been burnt out. And I didn't want to have all of that on my own shoulders all by myself. Um, you know, I didn't want to be strapped for cash. I knew that if I'm buying this elevator from my parents, I wouldn't be able to do the things that the elevator needs it to do. I wouldn't be able to grow because I'd be, I basically would extinguish all working capital. Um and so it'd be tough and I couldn't afford to have bad years. And a lot of people think they can't afford to have bad years, but I really could not. Um, so we decided to, to sell. And through that, um, we ended up um, courting a couple of different companies. Um, at the time, Schooler was the best fit for us. Um, There's a great company, had a ton of resources, which I was really attracted to the the that all the back office help that they had that I'd never had, you know, marketing, HR, uh, just tons of stuff that the small grain business, any small business doesn't have, the big ones do. Um, and I honestly thought that there was something that these big grain companies knew that we didn't know. You know, um, I'll back up a little bit, I guess. I did a little stint at White Commercial. I was heavily involved in White Commercial uh, through our private elevator. I did, you know, I was a scholarship recipient of Don White, uh, as the first intern down in Stewart, Florida, um, went to, I think every meeting that you guys had in the area, well, probably a lot of them in the country, uh, I was involved and we always said that there were no secrets in the grain business. Scott Hardy, I think always said that, you know, there's no secrets in the grain business. And I, and I believed it, but also had this kind of idea that, man, these big grain companies, they know something that we don't know. Um, so I was attracted to that wanted to be some, part of something bigger, wanted to grow. Um, and so we ultimately made that decision to sell. Um, worked out really, really well. I couldn't have asked for the acquisition to happen any better than it did. All of our employees stayed on. 
Um, I ended up managing that facility as well as helping co-manage another facility. Um, and things were great at Schooler. Um, you know, there's, they're a big company, so it's definitely different. There's politics. They're not quite as nimble as what I was used to. They can't not always make the decisions as quickly as you'd like. Um, you're one of many. So, you know, the company has a lot more capital than I was ever had a ability to get after. Um, but they, the way they allocate that sometimes doesn't seem to make sense to you. Um, you think I've got this thing that's going to have a 25% return. Let's do it. Well, it's not that easy. You know, that now you have more allocation cost. You have more overhead cost. The schooler does things a little differently than what the small country elevator can do. You know, they're going to do everything right, right? I mean, where we might have skirted the rules here or there, wherever we could, um, air quality, water quality, you know, EPA, what whatnot, uh, they, schooler has to do those things. And all big grain companies do, and everybody probably should. Um, and all that stuff has changed too, right? So from whenever I was managing our private elevator rules, regulations, restrictions have all gotten a little, little more strict. Um, but I loved, I loved it. Um, I had no intent on leaving. I knew that one day there's the possibility that I'd have to move, you know, and I really didn't want to uproot. I wasn't at that, to stay at school or you'd have to, right. To more than likely to, it, yeah. it's one of those things where, you, and it's not, it's not everybody that has to do that. And they generally, it, it's, it's not a, a decision that is made by someone else and you have to do this. I mean, I'm sure those things happen, but more than likely they come to you and say, Hey, look, you know, does this other opportunity interest you? We think you'd be a good fit. Um, I never had that yet, but I thought that it was coming. Um, I wasn't, 22, 23, 24 years old, you know, I'm married, have kids, have farm, you know, I'm kind of rooted here. And so, um, I, that was a tough decision to make. And right after we had sold our elevator, um, I was confronted by a, a, a banker that we used and he said, Hey, you know, there's this general manager position that's going to come available in a couple of years. I think you need to, you need to apply for it. And they're probably going to start looking here pretty quick. And I told him I'm not interested at all. I'm happy. We've just done this. I like Schooler. There's a lot of cool things they're doing. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm not interested. You know that. That I'm not. I feel like I'd be cheating on someone to do that. So time went on. Things went really well. Um, Schooler put me in some different programs, and it seemed like they, you know, they were doing what they said they were going to do, and I did what I said I was going to do. Um, everybody was really happy. Um, ultimately, um, I was confronted again, and we had a. I had a little um, courtship, I suppose, with Producers Co-op and the board. And um, the timing was right. It was one that I, the opportunity was a good one. It was a little different for me to kind of get out of the grain business. Um, I, I enjoy fall. I love hunting. Uh, it's one of my probably my biggest passions, anything outside really. And for so long, I would try to go on a hunting trip in September and it was a mess. I mean, we were in the, you know, gut slot corn harvest. And I remember one year we filled up and my dad had always kind of had a excavation side company for probably the last 15 years. And we, we filled up with corn one year and we knew we were going to, um, basis was just in, I mean, it just was unbelievable. We dropped from like I don't know, 30 under SEP and, you know, SEP diesel was like a 10 cent carry. We dropped from like 30 under SEP to like 90 under, hundred under D's. It was crazy. You don't want to give that corn away. I mean, you want to take everything you can. And in two days we stripped off an area 
on the other side of a double rail spur that we had and hauled in rock and ag lime, packed it down, bought an old rock conveyor, which would be like a stacker that guys load ground piles with, um, set it up, put a, had a downspout off the side of a side draw off the side of one of our bins, went across the railroad tracks with a piece of 15 inch PVC pipe, all homemade. Just, <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't make this stuff up, um, to that rock conveyor and started piling corn on the ground. No tarp, no air, no retention walls, nothing. It's, stuff's hundred under. Like you can't go wrong. You know, we've got deferred sales on out there at overs fob. It's like, you just take whatever you can. This is uh, the kind of nimble stuff you could do as a yeah <laughs> right yeah, absolutely you just couldn't do that at schooler yeah. no um, <laughs> and I actually probably won't let anybody do that here now um, right <laughs> so but anyway the, the, back to the, the I'll tie this all together um, I had this hunting trip booked and I when I say booked I mean like we're not I'm not taking guy I'm not going guide or anything it's just a couple of buddies we're gonna load up in the truck we're gonna drive to Colorado do it over the counter do it yourself hunt and I look forward to this stuff all year long. It's, it's kind of what I do. You know, when you're eight, you look forward to your birthday. When you're 28, you look forward to do something like that. And that's what I was doing or when you're 38 or 48 or however old you are. Um, and so, uh, I remember that we started piling corn out there like around September 1st or 5th or something like that. And it wasn't going to hold as much as we wanted it to, you know, we're only talking a hundred, 150,000 bushels, but it would get us to where rail cars would show up and we could load some corn out. Um, and when I left to go elk hunting, we had dumped like, I don't know, 40 or 50,000 bushels out there just to kind of play with it a little bit. And this was back whenever, you know, we weren't dumping a hundred thousand a day, you know, we were dumping a big day was 60, 70,000 bushels of corn a day. Um, and I remember, um, leaving, we had 40 or 50 out there or whatever, and, I called home like the third or fourth day I'd been gone and I asked how things were going. They said, it's pretty slow. And it rained. Ultimately in the seven days I was gone, I came back and we had like 14 inches of rain on that pile. Lots of rain, way too much. Well, it crusted and I get home the weather's cooled off. I get home and that pile steaming. I'm thinking, Oh my God, we're going to lose this whole thing. And so, um, we ended up making it worked out all right. You know, we were dumping 12% corn and the, had the bins elevator chock full of 12% corn and had a pile that averaged like 18. It was, you couldn't, I mean, it's ideal. Um, <laughs> and uh, we gained, we gained on that pile several thousand bushels. Well, we also had the, the junk around the bottom that was actually starting to kind of grow and get black and it was pretty rough. So we bought pigs. Um, again, a nimble thing that you can't do when you're part of a bigger crane company. Um, my dad had an old hog flat or hog floor, um, laying out in the weeds and we bought, we brought it over and bought like 15 hogs. And the deal was every day somebody would take a Wrangler, which is like a little articulating wheel loader used to load fertilizer out with, take that wheel, that little Wrangler out there and get a half a bucket of corn, junk corn, not the good stuff. Anything that could blend it wasn't, you couldn't do that. You get fired for that. Um, but anything that was real bad, take, get a half a bucket of that, throw in 30 or 40 pounds of bean meal and just dump it over the edge in the pen for the pigs. And they, so we fattened these like 15 hogs up and the hogs we bought were junk. Like these aren't good pigs. They're just whatever somebody, (laughs) um, so they finished like five of them would get, you know, 280 pounds and then a couple week or a month later. And you got to understand the, the feed that they were getting was not 
ideal. I mean, it's nothing like we produce here today. There's no micros in there. There's no vitamins. There's none of that. It's just corn and bean meal. And the pen went into the pond. We had a pond back there. And so we had to water them either. They just drank out of the pond. Um, so we killed these pigs in groups of five. And I just brought coolers up to the elevator, had the slaughter guys. We'd trade him. I'd trade him a pig and he'd butcher three. It's a good deal, you know. And so I'd bring these uh, slaughtered hogs, um, processed pork and whatnot back to the elevator and just give it away to the employees. And um, it, it was a hit. It was like, hey, let's pile corn every year, you know. It's like, you know, we got lucky, really. <laughs> you don't get that kind of rain on a pile that you threw together and uh, and get out of it all the time. So yeah, I've been there, done it. Um, now, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of jumping around, but here I am, uh, general manager of this co-op, and um, I don't get to trade like I want to. Um, you know, we have merchandising team for that. I insert myself as needed kind of long-term stuff, more deferred sales, spreads, whatnot like that. Um, but I'm looking to, once I get my feet under me, I've only been in this position for, I don't know, 10 months, I guess. Um, once I get my feet underneath me here, we'll, uh, I intend to spend a lot more time merchant. I mean, that's where my skill set is. Um, I'm not really good at anything, but I'm better at that than, I'm just not quite as bad at that as a, a lot of other things. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's questions there that I probably opened up. But So, you know, talking about the, the thing with the hogs, that kind of leads into the next thing. If you, you're an entrepreneur by, by, by uh, nature, by, by nature. Right. Yeah. So what are, what are some other things that, that you've tried out over the years? Cause you've, uh, you're kind of a Renaissance man, if you will. No, you do, man. Bryce has always got uh, some, and you know, you come by it honestly. I think your your dad's a little. It's like if there's anything, yeah, we'll try it. You know, try anything once, type of thing. I've said that we'll try anything twice, um, <laughs> and it's true. I mean, because the first time it may not work because you weren't prepared, um, and that's a common theme. You know, we're normally not prepared, but we just make it, figure it out, and then we'll do it better next time. My favorite thing is money, and so that's driven a lot. You know. Um, I said hunting. I like that. I do. But if I have a whole bunch of money, I can go hunt more. So there's an, there's a, there's, a, there's an end to this game. Um, I've done some, I've done a few things, you know, we've, um, had a hunting club, uh, there for a number of years, um, late in college and through the first part of, I guess, five or six years into, into my professional career, we had a hunting outfit that, um, my cousin and I started, um, we guided hunters. We call it guided. Basically, what we did was I set deer stands. Uh, we had several acres across, up and down the Kansas-Missouri line. Um, I'd, we'd set deer stands and scout and, you know, do the right way. But these hunters would come in. We'd essentially walk them into the deer stand, drop them off, say, I'll be, be back to get you in a few hours. Um, call on radio or text them or whatever. Uh, this is before really anybody texts, and we didn't have good cell service out there in the sticks. Um, but did that. Um planted a bunch of trees and actually had a couple tree spades for a while. Um, that was a brother-in-law of mine that kind of got me down that rabbit hole, um, uh, planted a whole bunch of trees and, and that kind of didn't ever really pan out. I planted all the trees up and down the, um, uh, Broadway in Pittsburgh. I, I don't know how that actually didn't worked quite out. Take root. No, no, it worked. I, it worked really well. It's a dead joke there. Probably, I get it. I, yeah, I understand. I'm a little slow. Like I said, I'm not good at a lot of things, so slow down. Um, <laughs> you can listen to this podcast in like what two times what normal speed is so that'll make me seem faster so if you guys give me jokes I'll just stop 
think about them, and then we can speed it up. Randy that, fixes You can all do that, that, Randy, right? Yeah, on all the okay. posts, you know. I'm told lots of magic happens. He's quite the manipulator of all things digital. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one time, one time the uh, I, I think the the rail company or whatever you guys use there had a had a car of of concrete. Is that right? And yeah, needed yeah. help with it, and you're like, well, you know, I'll try that. We did, and I probably go. that probably at the time I probably wouldn't have tried that again, but now I would. Uh, it's been long enough. I've forgotten. But you got enough help now, right? You can well, we figured it out. See, we're better prepared now. Um, yeah. So my dad, um, we were the first grain elevator that Watco served. Um, Watco is a big, large short line that's based in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Um, they've got little short lines all over the United States. A couple of um, terminals and ports and whatnot now too. Um, and so. My dad and um, the, the CEO or owner of Watco now, I don't know if he's majority owner or what he is, uh, Rick Webb, were friends, you know, acquaintances. And with that, anytime we needed anything, Watco was there to help. And um, our grain elevator wouldn't have ever gotten off the ground had Rick's dad, Dick Webb, um, co-signed a loan. It's a long, long, long story. My grandma and or my grandpa and Dick's wife worked together at a local school. They're both teachers there. And anyway, one of those things, who you know, not what you know type of deal. And so they helped us get in the business. Um, and so Waco, you know, they'd off, give us opportunities from time to time. And one day, um, my rail marketing rep called and said, hey, we've got a rail car of uh, Portland cement that was rejected. Um, no one wants it you guys will do about anything. Can you unload it? You can just have it if you can get it unloaded. And it was like April, May, you know, it's wet. It's raining almost all the time. It's a great time to be handling Portland cement. So um, we decided that, yeah, you know, what we'll do is we'll sell this stuff. So we called a couple of local uh, ready mix plants and said, Hey, do you guys need Portland cement? Nobody really wanted it because we didn't even know what we were talking about. We just said, Hey, it's concrete with no rock. So it's Portland cement. And they're like, yeah, we're not, we're not buying that. <laughs> End up, we found a sucker that wanted some and we sold it to him for like a hundred or $200 a ton. I can't remember. And so he brings a, a, a pneumatic trailer over and, but he, he can't ha- he can't suck it out of the car. And so it has hoppers doors on it, like a grain car does. Um, and so we stuck a belt conveyor under, we pulled the railroad tie out of the front underneath the track, made a little ready, kind of a, Beverly Hillbillies title, an unload system, stuck a rail car, a conveyor underneath there and started unloading into his, his trailer and told the guy, I said, look, man, we have no idea how much weight you're going to have. So you, we're trusting you and there's, you're damn sure not unloading it here. <laughs> I mean, what are we going to do with it? I mean, we, I've got ideas, but we're trying to, I'm, I'm trying to turn this into a dollar and didn't have that problem because we burned all the bearings out of the belt conveyor way before he got even like three or four ton in there. This is a mess. This stuff's like powder. If you blow on it, it just blows away. Uh, it runs like li- literally like water. It just comes out and goes everywhere. It's a disaster. Um, so then it rains and now our, we've got this little pit. Basically we kind of formed it up. Now we got a concrete pit. right. And, um, uh, so then I used a grain vac and did the same thing there, blew all the bearings out of it, ruined it. Um, bad idea. Um, the cyclone on the top, we put a gunny sack on to keep the, it was a disaster. 
ultimately, <laughs> we, we, we talked to a guy, and he says, you just need to use a grain auger. I'm like, dude, a grain auger? This stuff is heavy. If it sets up in there, we ruined it. He's like, well, don't get an old one. You got to get a new grain auger. I'm like, Ugh, this is getting worse. You know, I can go get a $500,000 35-foot grain auger and make this work. And he's like, no, 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 you don't want one where the flighting's worn down because you'll get too much resistance and it'll bog it down. So I was like, all right, I'm, 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 we're going to try this. Um, so we took this grain auger and it actually worked. It just, you just did not shut it off loaded, right? Um, it worked. You just didn't, you kind of had it feather it a little bit and the first load the guy left with was like 120,000 pounds <laughs> we split weight him on the scale our scale maxed out there and um he's like i gotta cross this bridge there's no way you know i'm overloaded i'm like i don't know what you're gonna do you should have been watching this is your baby now and he took it um so we unloaded the stuff and then he never came back and got like the last half load. And so what we did was just open the door and pushed it down the track and <laughs> broomed it around. Just anything. Um, and the damn guy never even paid us. Well, actually, I think we tried suing him. We might have sued him. I think we got a judgment, but I don't think we ever received any money. So I ruined a grain vac, a belt conveyor, and worked on that damn car for like two months because it was just too wet. You couldn't do anything. You're better all because of it. You know more now. Now, now, see, now I know. And now, now you'd, you'd sign up to do it again. And you now said. you guys know that next time, or the first time or any time that you get a, a hopper car of Portland cement offered to you, just get a grain auger um, and make sure you, you sell it to somebody you can trust to get paid. Smart. Yeah. See? Words of wisdom. Yeah. Okay, so let's get back to the uh, discussion here on uh, the differences or things you've noticed in your career uh, having worked for – such a broad swath of the industry. Sure. Um, you know, so obvious, there's obvious things there where small private owned elevators are, um, more nimble, um, easier to make changes. Uh, you already said that. Thank we, you, Jason. I appreciate that. Yes. Um, the, the biggest problem, and, and I did say this also is it feels like there's a lack of support, you know, um, you don't have the back office support that the bigger companies have, be it larger co-ops or even, or obviously the, the big grain companies. Um, and it's harder to get good talent. You know, I was fortunate to find some really good talent through the university of Arkansas. Um, guy that's worked for me at Camo. He worked for me as at schooler and, um, he actually left and went to a company that we ended up acquiring, um, here a few months ago, um, Zach Parrish, he does a great job. Trust him. You know, that's worth a lot. Having somebody, you know, you can trust. Um, but I got lucky in that, um, talent acquisition is hard and it's hard for everybody. Even the big companies struggle with it, but they have the, 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 you know, they can spread those resources out amongst more facilities and lower that overall cost. So that's a big one. Um, like I said, the big ones do have tons of resources, but they do get bogged down. There are some politics that at play. Um, you're one of many people. Um, there's a totem pole that you've got to you got to keep in line with, um, and uh, it's harder to see where the top might be or how you can get there. And that's something that I've always been driven to be. It's you know I want I want my boss's job almost all the time. Um, not that I'm going to do anything that put them in jeopardy. It's just that's my goal, right? Is to be the best I can be so I can get the next one. Um, they're also, the big companies have a vast diversification generally amongst the nation or wherever they are, um, where co-ops are obviously diversified locally. Most co-ops are in more than one 
one thing, you know, you don't, sure you've got some electric co-ops out there and you've got some guys that are strictly grain, but for the most part, um, like this co-op, for example, we have feed, we have a feed department, we have a fuel, uh, energy department, we have agronomy, we have grain, we have farm stores, uh, and we're looking to grow all of those things and into other things anytime we can. Um, so that's that's kind of the difference in in the small local grain elevator isn't normally always that diversified. Um, plus, you try to diversify across a region or an area so that you kind of hedge yourself against weather. Um, you know, the co-op thing is you have it seems like we have unbelievable local support, um, and they're very active in the community. Which I think those two things go hand in hand. So you see these co-ops, you know, they're they're at the county fairs. They're helping the FFA. They're helping 4-H. They're helping all these local community events where the bigger companies don't do as much of that. Um, and they, I think they kind of try not to all the time. Not that they don't want to. It's just that they can't do all of it, you know. Um, co-op thing, it's hard to please everyone, you know. Yes, people think that the old school people thought that I think co-ops were not for profit, and that's not the case. You'll have, you see the progressive ones, you see the ones that are being left in the dust. Um, we are for a profit operation. Um, we have to be to offer good markets, good service, good equipment, fast dumps, all that stuff. Um, so there's a little change in that mentality that's, that's been going on. You know, you look across Kansas, the state with probably the most co-ops, um, or at least to my knowledge, got a whole bunch of them. Um, the co-ops are shrinking the number of them, but the, amount of resources there or the locations is generally growing. They're not closing a lot of them. There are some of the, some of that. Um, but you see these big progressive right. co-ops that are doing it right. And they are operating like a private business um, and, and doing a really, really good job of it. And I'm proud of that. You know, um, it used to be that it was kind of, and I don't want to be negative here, um, but the co-op thing was kind of like, oh, well, they're just a co-op. Well, that's not the case anymore. Um, anybody that's there and setting themselves up for the future has to be proactive. They've got to look for the future and, and, um, treat their employees great, treat the customers right and grow their business as much as they possibly can. And it all comes down to profitability. Do you see there's a point you talk about the co-op thing, which anybody in the grain businesses has, has seen a lot, you know, not, not just in Kansas, they, they keep growing and have more and more locations and, and basically you're covering a bigger territory and you get to the point where the, like you were saying, the co-op's about the local community and they're investing in the local community, they're sponsoring stuff and they're, they're doing all that. But eventually they get so big that dealing with the co-op is dealing with somebody 150 miles away or something, uh, sometime where their home office would be. I mean, do you, do you see that as an issue or, or well, what? Like yeah. You guys do not have that problem. You're all no. local here, but. No, we don't have that problem, but you know, big co-op, uh, CHS. You know, a lot of people don't know. Sunkiss is also one of the biggest co-ops in, in the United States. But, yes, yeah, CHS is huge. You know, they probably lack some of that local feel. They definitely lack that local feel that a company like Producers Cooperative has. Um, and as we get bigger and as we've grown, our our target audience has changed too, I guess. I don't know if you call it target or our community. Um, you know, it used to be that the, the, the Producers Co-op at Girard did a lot in Crawford County. And – not, not because of me, it hasn't changed. It's changed 10 years ago or more. I think we're at six or seven different county fairs now, and that's a that's an undertaking. 
Um, we spend north of $50,000 a year buying livestock animals and, and sponsoring fairs and all this stuff. Um, you get big enough. I think you get big enough that you have to start pulling that kind of stuff back. You know, you can't do everything all the time. And so it makes it difficult. That is a struggle. That's a growing pain, I guess, because you want to say we're local, we're community involved, we're here, we're for all that. But you just can't do everything all the time. Yeah, I just wonder, you know, as a guy that's like, hey, I want my boss's job all the time or whatever. But that's a way of saying you, you want to continue to grow. So, you I mean, even in, in this role, you want to grow the sphere of influence of this co-op and everything. It's just like, but is there a point where probably it, it doesn't make sense anymore? I mean, that I guess is, is what I... Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't so know I don't if you really, think about that much. I don't but. really have a boss now. I have five of them, my board right. of directors. Uh, so I guess I have idols, right? But you, you have growth. Right, I have growth, growth you targets. Have a, you have a vision. As a GM, you have a vision you cast for the organization and, and do all that. I guess how big do, you, do the dreams get there? That's like That's a lot of farmers say. You know, I don't want to own all the land. I just want to own everything that butts up to me. Um, it's a You can't get it all. Um my goal isn't to be the biggest co-op in the nation. It's not. Um, but I definitely want to be a regional player. Um, and, you know, we're positioning ourselves to continue growth. Um, if you said how many locations would you want, I have no idea. You know, yeah, I'd like to add a few every year if I can. But working capital doesn't always offer you that opportunity. Um, and places don't sell when you need them to. You know, uh it's easier to buy something. Yeah, you have the transition, and that that's a whole thing in itself, uh, than it is to just go about building the greenfield site. You know, low-hanging fruit seems like it's kind of gone. Look at shuttle loaders. They're overbuilt, probably, in my opinion. Um, but as far as we go, I just want to continue growing on a growth strategy that meets our vision, um, that we continue to be profitable, uh, we continue growing, serving the community, and doing it right. I don't know if that answers your question or not. It kind of leaves it to, well, what do you want? And I don't know what I want. Yeah. Well, I just, I, so, you know, you've shared with, with us your background of small family run elevator and also being connected to the big. And so there's pros and cons to both. And here you can kind of strike, hopefully get the, get, get some of the, the good stuff from both sides is kind of where you're going. It, like you said, a regional player, you can be big enough to really hit more markets than, than a standard just one location place or something, but but also, um, you know, maybe, I guess all the businesses you guys are, are in, you know, touch touch more stuff and, and be a, you know, be something bigger than, than your original family-owned place, but also not have the, be, have all the cons of the, the large organization that can't move on stuff. Yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't, I don't want to get to where we're not nimble and not, community focused and my door's open, right? I don't, I want employees to be able to walk in my door anytime they want to and talk to me. Um, and as you get bigger and grow, I'm already seeing a little of that is more of a struggle. My time is pulled here. It's pulled there and it's not fun, right? I, I, I want to diversify where we need to. I want to pull back some things with that are wrong. Um, you know, maybe that's, uh, get out of a business. Currently I don't see that, but That'll happen at one point. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, as you get bigger, I think that it's probably a struggle. You know, it's talent it comes down to talent. You gotta be able to trust who's working for you. You know, that right there might be the secret of the green business. 
Yeah, I know with, with White Commercial, we work with grain elevators, and we're always, hey, what's your biggest challenge? We're, what do, how can we help and stuff? And I want the answer to be buy basis, sell basis, and spreads because I can help with that. But the overwhelmingly, the answer is people, you know. Yeah, people. Hiring the right people, keeping the right people, all that stuff. It's 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 a challenge. Yeah, talent retention's tough because it seems like you're you always have to have your best bid. And we know in the grain business, there's times where you have to tell somebody that's a better bid, you should take it. Um, if you can't do that, you're you're not supplying good customer service. Um, but when you have employees, you're constantly you're constantly having to rebid things. Not con- I shouldn't say constantly, but um, you, you get held hostage in times where, you know, a competition is offering an employee a better, a, you know, a better base salary, but worse benefits. And you have to help that person understand that the overall impact to them with better benefits may be greater, but a lot of people only worry about what, what's in their paycheck every week or every two weeks. Um, so keeping talent is tough. You know, we try to do it through incentives. Um, although I don't necessarily know that's the right way. It's a, it's a key. It's part of it, but I don't think it's everything. You can't just say, this is your incentive, go get it. Um, and if someone complains about not making enough money, you say, well, you have the opportunity to through incentives. That's not always right because market weather dictates our business. Um, and, uh, markets dictate it. So it's sometimes tough, tough for those folks to, to reach that. Um, so I think that, you know, annual reviews, if not, Biannual reviews. When I say, I've always questioned that. Is it biannual? Does that mean twice or every other? Semiannual. I see. I've used my my for, for a long time for roughly thirty five years. I've used biannual incorrectly and biweekly, meaning twice a week or twice a year. But I need to be using semi. Yes. God. You're welcome. Hey man, we're here to help. That's right. No, no, and that's part of managing people is, uh, like you said, incentives, you know, don't always do the trick. And it, not everybody's wired that way also. And and that's part of managing people is really understanding what what these people do want and how you can, you know, for some people it's more vacation time or more free time or, you know, something like that. Right, right. And, you know, for us, realistically, you're going to meet somebody prior to hiring them, somebody that you don't know, because I won't hire friends or family, period. I just don't do that. It makes it an awkward situation. So I'm going to meet these people, what, two times, three times? Maybe we do something where I interview them four times and expect to know them. Expect to read their resume, call a couple of references who who probably some of them care, some of them don't. You may not even call references. You try to do everything you can, but you're expecting that you know this person and how well they're going to work for you uh, for years to come. And so the way to, to hedge yourself on that is to – throw out the incentive idea. It's like, well, if you work harder and you do these good things for us, then, then we know that you're going to work out. But I'd love to just go out there and pay everybody a salary. That's, you know, that's mind boggling to them. It's just a giant salary. It's like, I know you're going to do it. I trust you. And I know there's some companies that have done that and some have had success with it. Um, but that's where the incentive comes in. I can pay you a salary that's, that's, that's fair and you can live off of, and, and then we can review this you know, every six months or quarter or year or two years or whatever it may be. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's difficult. It, um, I've been, I guess, fortunate to see several different incentive plans and packages and kind of mold the one we use around those. Um, but talent holding and keeping talents tough. And a lot of times if people are interested in going somewhere else, they should just go. 
it's better, it's healthier for everybody involved. Um, you try to hold somebody from doing what they want to do, it's going to be a bad thing for everybody involved. Ultimately, they're going to leave you hanging, or they're not going to like their job. And if you don't like it, you're not you're not going to do very well at it. Um, you know, I, I, I saw that firsthand. Um, I tried, I said no, and it kind of was always there in the back of my mind and kind of stuck it. You know, I was thinking, man, maybe, you know, that'd be so cool. I could be involved in all these different things. Um, and here I am, you know. I think I made the, I don't think I'd change a lot of things I've done, um, but I'm fortunate in that too. Um, but I think that once people start to consider another opportunity, it's really difficult to put that thing to bed. Well, hey, let us take a break here. I, I know we try to keep our podcast here to, uh, to a, you know, relatively close to half an hour. I think we can do that if we, uh, if we take a break here, but we got more to talk with Bryce about. So we're going to do that in a, uh, in a, in a future episode for you guys for us today we'll just continue here in a little bit but uh thanks bryce for coming on we've enjoyed listening to you here and your take on things and uh anyways as always thanks for listening like subscribe share with your friends all that stuff we appreciate it we appreciate you listening and come back because we're gonna have another episode download it and and listen so for roger i'm jason For Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevator's Cut. Out. Out.